can you die in such an embarrassing way that you have no choice but to walk the world as a ghost? And then we continue the story of Dr. Jonathan Reed. In the last episode, he killed a gray alien with a tree branch, bashed its brains in, in the middle of the woods. He then threw it in the trunk of his car and drove it home. But little did he know that although he may have won the battle, he would not win the war. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had an awesome weekend. We only have eight days left of season 20. Eight episodes would probably be a better way to say that. Eight more episodes. I'm taking an extra two days on my vacation just to get ready to give my speech at the Oregon Ghost Conference in Seaside, Oregon. I will be giving my speech, Why Are There No Fat Ghosts? And that will be at 7 p.m. Wait, is it? Uh, I, <laughs> let me double check when the time is. Let me, let me double check. Great sales pitch. That'll be at 6 p.m. That I will give my speech on March 24th at 6 p.m. at the Oregon Ghost Conference. It's $15, and that's a three-day pass. You'll be able to attend all the other lectures and walk around the vendor's booth and meet with other people who are ghost aficionados. And who knows? Maybe you'll meet a ghost yourself. There's nothing ghost. Paranormal activity is not guaranteed. I hold no liability if you are not seeing a ghost or get possessed by a demon at the Oregon Ghost Conference. But you guys should swing on by, and I will be there 6 p.m. March 24th giving my speech, Why Are There No Fat Ghosts? It should be a blast. It should be. But someone who's always a blast, someone who's known for blowing up power generators around the country, the FBI is looking for this guy. Everyone give it up for one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is Justin M. Woohoo! Yeah! Yeah! Woohoo! Wee! Yeah, he's doing cartwheels. He's throwing dynamite everywhere. Justin M. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. I don't know if I should say your last name, honestly, because you started joining the Patreon so long ago. Sometimes people go, hey, just use a nickname, and I don't remember if you did that. But if your name is Justin M., you know who I'm talking about. Justin, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. If you guys don't want to be outed as a domestic terrorist, you're like, what? I'm not a terrorist. That's what a terrorist would say, Justin. Justin, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. Really helps out a lot. Maybe you prolonged a terrorism campaign across the country telling people you will stop your reign of terror if they listen to Dead Rabbit Radio. I, I doubt that would work, so don't try it. Uh, but if But if it did work, Justin, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the... The Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Let's drive all the way out to Illinois. Long, leisurely journey across the country. Feet kicked up on the dashboard, letting the wind blow on our face. It'd be fun. I've never been to Illinois. I've never been out there. I'm sure it's cool. Specifically, we're going out to Bloomington, Illinois. And while we're there, we're not there to, like, see the local nightlife or whatever, but we're there to go back to school. Hope you guys brought your book bags. Hope you guys got on 
Hope you guys ready for that test. We're going to take it in like five minutes. You're like, ah. Hope you guys are ready for this exam. We're going to Blooming Grove Academy. I tried looking them up. Their website is down. I'll say that's a bad sign if you're looking for a school to send your kids to. If they can't even keep their website up. At 404, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. You go there and the principal there, he just hasn't shown up for a while. He's just kind of forgotten that he works there. You have maybe three or four teachers for the whole school. And this is hilarious. Since doing that, I didn't know these type of schools existed, but since doing this is a private academy, I've found two schools like this in my paranormal research. It's not paranormal, it just seems like bad planning. Blooming Grove Academy is ages. K for kindergarten, right? So grades kindergarten to 12th grade. The seniors in high school and little kindergarten kids and everyone in between goes to the same school, which I imagine their bullying problem must be just hilarious, right? Because you would straight up have like 11th graders picking on Kindergarten kids. <laughs> Maybe you're like, Jason, hilarious isn't the right word. I'm pretty sure that is a criminal act. But I was like, wow, what a concrete jungle that must be. Where you have seniors, eighth graders, <laughs> first graders all on the same campus, all interacting. Because I don't think it's like gated off. I don't think they have like these huge insurmountable walls. They're just kind of like walking together. Through the classrooms and stuff. This kindergarten kid is like, oh man, I'm in advanced mathematics again. I took a wrong turn down the hallway. I don't know any of this stuff. I don't even know how to spell my name. It's crazy. I don't I have no idea why you would do that. But Bloom, maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. I couldn't verify on their website. I found that notation several times because I was like trying to look at review sites for the school. No reviews. <laughs> Jason, are you sure this school even exists? Maybe it was burned down to rubble. Uh, there's photographs of it, and there was no rubble in the photographs. So Blooming Grove Academy. And the reason why we're here isn't just because we're social scientists and we want to check out how a high schooler interacts with a third grader. We're here to look at a ghost. We're here to investigate the haunting of Blooming Grove Academy. And when you look at the hauntings here, or haunting, I should say, it's all kind of centered around the third floor of this one particular building on campus. And they say that doors slam. You can hear the sound of doors slamming. If the door is closed, sometimes you'll hear the sound of the doorknob rattling, like someone's on the other side trying to get out or in, right? What's creepier? If you're walking down the hallway and you heard a doorknob rattling and you go, oh, dude, there's a ghost in that room trying to get out. But I'm in this long hallway. You just keep on walking by. You're like, oh, oh, that tormented spirit. What That would be kind of creepy, right? But if the hallway is like well lit, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> you do have a growing wet stain on your pants because you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure there's a ghoul in this room. I'm standing right next to the door. I'm like, hum the hum the hum. What would be scarier as you're peeing your pants? I would. The reason why is because you could run down the hallway, right? But imagine if you were in that room. Well, actually, now that I think about it, if you were in a room that had a long hallway attached to it and you are in the doorknob, you would just go, oh, someone's walking down the hallway and, and trying to get in. If you knew the room was unoccupied, then you'd go, oh, it's a ghost. But at no point would a hallway be unoccupied. Someone could always walk down a hallway. But if you were in the room, 
and you hear the doorknob rattling, and then you thought, dude, I bet you it's that ghost outside this room. Like, what can you do? You're on the third floor. I mean, you can't really jump out the window. You could, but then you become a ghost yourself. So you would just kind of, I think it would be scarier to be in a small room with a ghost trying to get in than in a large area that you can easily run away from and a ghost is trying to get out. So that, that, that was kind of the point of that whole thing. Anyways, I don't know if this is a dorm room again. I don't know what this school is like. I couldn't find any like official documents of Blooming Grove Academy. There was a couple schools named that. I had to make sure I was getting the one from Illinois. But you had the... there. Apparently there's also this room that has loud music playing. And as you approach it, the music shuts off. So, standard ghost stuff. So why are we talking about it on Dead Rabbit Radio? Why are we at Blooming Grove Academy? Because I come across hundreds of accounts like this. Doors rattling. Okay. I mean, again, if you're in the situation, it's terrifying. But just reading it online, you're just like, oh, you know, that'd be scary if I was there, but it's not scary. So why are we talking about it on Dead Rabbit Radio? Well, this might be one of the most unusual origin stories for a ghost. So unusual, I don't even think it's possible. I had to start doing research. I was at my favorite bagel shop in town drinking coffee, and I had to keep typing in uh, horrible, horrible sentences and hoping no one was standing behind me. We've covered some bizarre deaths that caused ghosts on this show. There was a boy in a Burger King bathroom who hung himself, which I don't think is possible. In a Burger King bathroom, it is possible to hang. <laughs> yeah, I have to finish that last right. It is possible to hang yourself, unfortunately. But uh, next time you're in a public restroom, specifically, like, whether or not it's a Burger King bathroom, I don't think it matters. But next time you're in a fast food restaurant, I want you to go, hmm, where could I hang myself in here? There's no real fixtures. You could do the thing that they do in prison where you wrap the underwear around your neck and then you just kind of lay, lay down. You're like, Jason, I think you're missing a step. They find they find me just sitting in a Burger King bathroom with a pair of underwear just around my neck, and I'm like reading a book. I was like, I, I, I'm supposed to die eventually, right? This is supposed to kill me. Like, yeah, Jason, there's a couple other things you need to do. You just don't put underwear on your neck, and then you die. But he could have done that. But I still don't think it's super possible for a kid to hang himself in a Burger King bathroom. We also had another kid. Who who hated shoe shopping so much? His mom dragged him to a Payless shoe source. I'll put these episodes in the show notes. That he ran out of the Payless shoe source. He was so like, "Mom, I don't want to wear no more shoes. I'm running free, barefoot and free." And he got hit by a car and exploded. The key point was not only did the car hit him, it just kind of like blew him up. Which, again, not super possible, right? I guess if the car was going fast enough and if the boy was frail enough, we'll get, we'll get a physicist on the show and we'll talk about this. The reason was specifically why we know he blew up was because one of the ways he would show up as a ghost in the Payless Shoe Source, which, admittedly, this is a hilarious prank. <laughs> I mean, if I got blown to pieces, I'd probably do something like this. He's haunting the Payless shoe source, and what people have said is they will go to get a box of shoes. They're like, oh, look at these. These are going to be great shoes. And they open the box up, and there's a little boy's decayed head in the box, and like half the forearm. 
So like he's he blew up he blew up in his eternal resting place as a Payless shoe source, and he's in boxes. I think he also appears as a full body apparition. I recorded that episode a long time ago, but those are both pretty embarrassing. I mean, getting hit by a car isn't necessarily embarrassing. That that unfortunately happens all the time too. It's the fact that he's now trapped in a Payless shoe source for eternity or until Payless goes out of business, which I'm pretty sure they have at this point. This though, the one we're about to talk here, that was a little refresher. This one might be one... I don't think this is possible. I don't think this is possible. I had to keep Googling it. Much to the consternation of of anyone with eyeballs walking behind me while I was looking this up. Apparently, this is the ghost story. At Blooming Grove Academy, during a junior high basketball game. So, middle school students, right? 6th, 7th, 8th grade. There was a kid, he was playing basketball. Dun, 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 dun. Yo, Jimmy, pass me the ball. They don't actually they don't actually give his name, of course. These are the type of ghost stories. The legend is how much of it's true, how much of it is urban legend. But they're like, Jimmy, pass me the pill, pass me the pill. And he's like throwing the ball. And then another kid's getting and Jimmy's like, wow, what a good workout. I, uh, my tummy. And he's like, oh, why does my stomach hurt so bad? And then they're like, Jimmy, heads up. And they throw the ball back to him. He's all dribbling the ball. Every time he dribbles on the ball, it's hitting his stomach. He's like, oh, no. And he apparently either had a stomach flu or ate too much Taco Bell because his stomach is just just totally like rumbly, grumbly. And he's playing a basketball game. It would be the worst time to be sick, but he has points to make. Shoots the ball. Yay, Jimmy's team. Woo, yeah, yeah. And he's feeling how sick he is, and he starts to feel that bile come up through his throat, and he throws up. But, (laughs) so I don't know if this is possible. He feels the bile, he feels the food coming back up. Semilayer burrito is slowly making its way up his esophagus. He knows the feeling well. He remembers what it felt like going down. He he's throwing up, but he knows he will be so embarrassed if he throws up in the basketball game that he stops it. He closes his mouth shut and lets all of the vomit fill up his cheeks. He's standing there. His lips are drip dripping liquid. And some guy's like, yo, Jimmy, heads up, passes the ball mask back to him. He's all trying to dribble. He swall he basically throws up in his mouth, but like a full throw-up, not just a little bit of bile. Full on in his mouth, he's holding it in because he'll be so embarrassed if he throws up. So he's holding in the vomit, and I, they don't—they don't say if he continues to play the game. He's like, "Oh man!" And he sunk a three-pointer, but he stood there and he held the vomit in for so long, he died. <laughs> he died. He fell over and had asphyxiated on his own vomit. That's the ghost story. Now, here's the thing. I know you can swallow your own vomit. <laughs> like, damn it. You're sitting down with a big pot of stew. You're like, I don't even know why I start eating and listen to Dead Rap Radio at the same time. This is disgusting. Apparent, I know you can swallow your own vomit and die. Again, unfortunately, that happens. But I looked it up. I was typing. I typed into Google, can you on purpose choke on your own vomit? And pretty much every resource was, yes, if you drink too much, this is a huge issue. Yes, you can swallow your own vomit if you're laying down and you're intoxicated. And even first-hand accounts, people were like, yeah, man, I had a really bad experience with that. 
I'd been drinking heavily, but I was still walking around. Then I threw up, and then a piece of it got stuck in my windpipe and all that stuff. So, but they all weren't trying to hold it in. They were either, like, in a position where they were laying down. They choked in their own vomit. <laughs> There's no reports of somebody choking on their own vomit and dying in a basketball game where they're actively moving around. So I don't know if this is possible. I don't know if physically you can be standing up playing a game of basketball. I don't know why I keep, why I keep focusing on that. I was like, but if they were playing cricket, then who knows? Probably. You're standing up, you vomit, you hold it in, and then you choke to death. Now, I imagine maybe he held it in and then it went, it, you know, it went back into his windpipe or something like that because you got all that liquid and all that food floating around up there. Those refried beans have to go somewhere. But I find it interesting. If this story is true, which if it isn't, it's the funniest made-up ghost story we've come across. Let's say the story is true. Let's say that this kid, I don't know, maybe he had a reputation for throwing up around the school and everyone's like, Jimmy, if you throw up one more time, we're going to call you regurgitating Jimmy for the rest of your life. And he's like, I don't want that nickname. <laughs> I did throw up multiple times around school to come to this point. I, Jimmy, I, Jimmy, vow to never throw up again. He's playing basketball. He's about to throw up. He swallows it. I don't. Well, he didn't mean to swallow it again. Like he just was holding it in and he suffocated. I don't know why you would be embarrassed to throw up at a basketball game. Now, if you threw up and then slipped in it and accidentally threw the ball in the opponent's hoop, then yes, that would be kind of that would be kind of embarrassing. That'd be so funny. <laughs> I would be the guy laughing. Everyone's like, "Oh, Jimmy," and I'm up on the stands. I'm laughing. I was like, "Did you see what you just did? Did you see what you should be embarrassed? You should be so embarrassed by what happened." I just find it so interesting. And you wonder if he threw up and died, and he died because he didn't want to be embarrassed, if the embarrassment is what's keeping him at this school. Like, if, like, he basically willed himself, and, and not a way that he wanted, he is now a ghost in that school. Because, and this is the reason why I say that. Had he... Like, the, the, the fear of embarrassment was so great in this kid that he didn't want to throw up in public, and that ended up killing him. And that ultimate fear of embarrassment is what is holding him on Earth. Because here's, here's my theory, and we'll wrap it up like this. The ghost that's on the third floor, that's not where they were playing basketball. They weren't playing basketball down the hallway. The defense would jump out of different doors to distract people. The ghost is on the third floor of this building that's not at the gym with the doors rattling and stuff like that. Had none of these ghostly activities ever happened, let's assume all of this stuff is true. Had there been no reports of door slamming or doorknobs turning or music playing and then mysteriously shutting off, had those never happened, there would be no internet record about a junior high school kid swallowing his own vomit during a basketball game. You, you see what I mean? Like, he is even more embarrassed now that even though his name may be lost to history, even though no one may remember who this kid was, in the world of the internet, in the realm of the paranormal, he will forever be known as Vomit Boy of Blooming Grove Academy. 
And that's the ultimate embarrassment. That's the embarrassment that literally lives on after you die. Had none of these hauntings taken place, assuming this story is true, and it could just be urban legend, it could be totally made up, but let's say the story's true, put on our conspiracy caps. Had none of these hauntings ever taken place, we would have never come across the story. No one would know the story of the vomit boy of Blooming Grove Academy, but that is his, that's his only legacy. No one else remembers who this dude was. Except for the boy who choked on his own vomit because he was too embarrassed to vomit. So can, we always talk about personal attachments to an area keeping you stuck there. A house you loved so much, a park that you spent so much time at. Personal attachments can draw your spirit to those areas after death. What about negative attachments like embarrassment? Or uh, there should be a creepy one, jealousy, right? You have a significant other who just can't get over you. They die in a horrific way. And then six months later, they're haunting your house. Because they're attached to you. I I wonder if we've covered... That sounds vaguely familiar. But again, if we have covered it, it's once over the course of, what, a thousand and forty some odd episodes. So negative attachments, can they also keep you stuck to an area i guess one way to ask is if you live in bloomington illinois go out and check blooming grove academy first off make sure it still exists it might be a meat packing plant now their website is down but uh maybe try to investigate this uh vomit boy of blooming grove academy find out the truth is it embarrassment keeping him there who knows but it's an interesting theory and i thought it was an absolutely hilarious death Justin, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. Let's leave behind Blooming Grove Academy. We got everything from our finger painting permits to our high school diplomas. We are now all high school graduates. Fly us away from here and take us all the way out to Seattle, Washington. Last week... We ended on a cliffhanger, which is rare for this show, right? It's a daily podcast. Not everyone listens to every episode, and that's totally fine. So let me give you a quick overview of what happened last time. On Dead Rabbit Radio, we have the story of Dr. Jonathan Reed and his trusty golden retriever, Susie. I'll give you the same warning I gave on Friday if you're a dog lover. This is a bit of a rough one. But I don't need to go through all the gory details. I did just talk about a man swallowing vomit for 20 minutes. It was October 1996 near the Snoqualmie Pass in Washington. Dr. Jonathan Reed and his seven-year-old golden retriever Susie stumbled upon a four-foot-tall, half-gray, half-reptilian creature. And Susie and the alien began to fight. The alien was moving at a super-fast speed. And Susie was trying to get a good lock on him while Dr. Jonathan Reed was dumbfounded. He did pick up a big tree branch. He figured he'd going to have to get in the fight at some point. Eventually, Susie grabbed a hold of the alien's arm. The alien then ripped off the top of Susie's head, the top of, it, the top of her skull, and just threw it to the ground. I mean, he just ripped this dog's head off. Susie... Susie's body, as it was bleeding into the forest floor, then began to crumple and distort as if it was being sucked into a miniature black hole inside the dog's body. 
So Dr. Reed is watching this dog go, mm, I don't know if it actually made a bing sound or if it was just the sound of guts and entrails being sucked through a portal. Who knows? But anyways, Dr. Reed is so mad at this point that he rushes the alien and bashes its head in with this club. Exposing brain matter and skull fragments and all this stuff. The level of gore in that story was quite interesting because we don't see that much. Even in stories when humans are getting abducted, a lot of times it still feels fairly sterile. There's not blood spraying all over the room when an arm gets chopped off. An arm is still getting chopped off, but it doesn't seem to be that gory. And even for Jonathan, um, he thought he killed a kid at first. He thought he had killed a human in a costume. He was in shock. And what he does is he takes the alien's body, wraps it in a thermo blanket, and carries it over his shoulder. They were about an hour and a half from the car, and he carries this little guy who weighed, he said he goes, he weighed only about 50 pounds, surprisingly light. He might have weighed more if he still had his brains in his head, but without his brains, he was, he was pretty light. He carried this creature's body all the way to his car, threw it in the trunk, and headed back home to Seattle, Washington. And that is where... We ended Friday's episode. So let's go ahead and we got some more of the story. We got the second half of Dr. Jonathan Reed's journey. And we'll take a look at a little bit of we'll take a look a little bit of the behind the scenes of the story. Because when I started researching it, I came across it on thinkaboutadocs.com and they had a pretty brief write-up. And I felt there was information missing, so I tracked down the book that they sourced it from, bought the book, read the chapter on this story, and go, wow, there's a lot of information left out. And then as I continue to do more research, I go, wow, there's a lot of information left out of the book. And <laughs> it's not good information. It doesn't paint Jonathan in a good light. But let's take a look at all this stuff. So now we're at the point where they're back in Seattle, um, Jonathan and this dead alien in his trunk and he takes it and he throws it in the meat freezer in his garage goes to bed which I think I think that's pretty much a full day right your dog got sucked into oblivion you beat an alien to death and and let's not forget you had to carry his body out he throws the alien in the ice freezer the meat freezer goes to bed the next morning he wakes up and he takes the alien out of the freezer, the alien's body, still wrapped in this thermal blanket. And this is where we have video footage. We do have existing video footage because what we're going to find throughout the story is he says, I took pictures of all of this stuff. I took pictures of the, oh yeah, he ran into the alien's nine foot tall UFO. It was kind of flown around the forest. That happened on Friday's episode too. But he said, I took photos of the UFO, I took photos of this alien's body, I took all this video footage of the alien, but people, of course, want to see it. But uh, the feds took it all. The feds took it all, which we, I, be I believe that can happen, right? I, I mean, it's a convenient excuse, but I believe that can happen. But this video footage exists. You can find it on YouTube. And, to, okay, here, here's the thing. To, uh, to say it is less than convincing is half right. <laughs> Jason, then isn't that convincing? <laughs> Here's the weird thing about it. There's video footage of this on YouTube. It's all creepy and yellow, and it's with a video camera, because this was like in 96, 97. 
walking around this video camera. He's breathing as heavy as you would imagine a man would who was filming his neighbor undressing. It is a very... <laughs> Maybe I'll play a sound clip just of him breathing, because it is quite funny. And that's really the only sound, right? And then he's undressing, <laughs> not undressing, he's unwrapping the alien from the thermo blanket. It's one of those like uh, metallic aluminum blankets or whatever to keep you warm at night or cold. That's one of the things. But anyways, I think it's warm. But anyways, it is, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a blanket review podcast. You're like, what? I've been listening to this, to this for a thousand episodes. I was wondering when he's getting to the blanket reviews. He unwraps the alien. We see this on camera. He unwraps the alien, and you see what looks like a fairly realistic-looking alien head. Doesn't look like a typical gray alien. Doesn't look like some store-bought mask. The head itself is interesting. The alien, though, was described as wearing a one-piece black suit. So from the neck, it had like a little collar around his neck or like, you know, like where it cut off. There's the black thing around his neck, whatever that's called. The collar. I think I was right the first time. And then it went all the way down and it was like completely covered his feet and his legs and his arms. So it looked like he was in like a unitard, like just one piece suit with no seams in it whatsoever. So when he unwraps the alien, you see his little alien head. And then you see what I could only, in my own scientific analysis, would describe as a cabbage patch. As a cabbage patch. I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. It looked like a cabbage patch doll. Now, at this point, I already done, done a ton of research, right? I'm reading the book. I'm reading, I was typing up all my notes, and then finally I was reading all these articles, and one of them had a link to the, because I kept talking about video footage and pictures, I'm reading all these sources, and they're like, but the feds got them, and then I finally read this other article, and they go, yeah, here's a link to the YouTube video, at this point I'd spent hours getting all this stuff ready, and I watched the video, and I was like, oh my goodness, that looks like a Cabbage Patch doll, bro, that totally looks like a Cabbage Patch doll, I think I'll put, I'll use a screenshot for the uh, show art for this episode, but. Or maybe not. Maybe that'll give it away. Maybe like, why am I going to listen to this episode? Is he talking about Cabbage Patch dolls? <laughs> Anyways, the body does not look realistic. The head does. And, and this is what's fascinating about it. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of um, like crime scene stuff. And not just like on YouTube or LiveLeak. I told you guys, I went to my cousin's um, murder trial. And it was very interesting when they sh when they showed the inside of the house where he had stabbed that dude. 
it was not like you're watching on YouTube. We're sitting there in the courtroom and we're watching on this big monitor and it's completely silent. There's no audio and it's just this camera walking through the house recording the ground, just kind of sweeping sights aside like you're looking at stuff and then it walks up to a man laying there, a deceased man. Uh, he got stabbed in the heart with a steak knife. Is un it's truly unsettling. It it's and I've been in that house too. I had hung out at that house, uh, not a lot. It, it, was, it was a known meth distribution center. I didn't go there all the time. Well, my buddy was there. My cousin was there. Right, we'd go over there. We'd play PlayStation Two and stuff like that. But I didn't stay there after dark. I never stayed there after dark. I remember my cousin Billy was like, "Yeah, sometimes when I want to leave and I don't want to go through the living room, he pulls back his curtains and he had just kicked his window." had no screen because he's like yeah i kicked it out so this is this is how i get in the house i just hop in and out of this store so i don't have to walk through everything anyways it's weird and that's kind of what it felt like watching this not as emotionally draining as watching the one at my cousin's murder trial but there is a weird factor to it where on the one hand you're like oh my god that body's totally fake but as the video carries on it does feel I'm not going to say it's disturbing or it's like one of the seven most creepiest things you're even going to see today, but there's a weird element to it. It does feel slightly that it was a living thing. It's not like you're looking at a dead human, but you do kind of get this weird... And I started laughing when I watched the video and I kind of slumped my shoulders in defeat because I had already done a ton of research and I was like, this is obviously fake. But as the video progressed, I go, I'm getting, this feels uneasy. Like, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what it is. Now, here's the thing. The world is full, or the universe is full of mysteries. Evolution can take its own path on a multitude of planets. Who's to say that somewhere out in the void, there is not a Cabbage Patch world. There's not a world where people have the name Xavier stamped on their butt. Who's to say that who's to say that having bones and flesh and a realistic body is the only way to evolve? Maybe that's how he was able to run so fast. Which that's funny because Thomas the Dank Engine, he was the guy who was piloting the Carpenter Cop to that episode. He messaged me on Instagram after the episode and he was talking about the video and he's like, There's no way, there's no way those little cabbage patch legs could run so fast. I was like, I know. And, and this is what's interesting. Let me finish up the story here. Finish up the narrative because I really want to go into this a little bit deeper. We don't have a lot of time. Jonathan Reed, we can pretty much summarize this. Jonathan Reed has the body. He takes the video footage. He takes a tons of photos. He begins contacting UFO groups like MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And he says that that was probably the worst decision that he had made because they start to pre, in his words, being very aggressive towards him. They wanted to take the body. They wanted to chop it up, analyze it. And they wanted to investigate Jonathan as well. And he's like, yo, like, what are you talking about? Like, I have this alien. You guys can come look at it, but I don't want you chopping him up. And he's tried, he, so Dr. Jonathan Reed, he worked at a university. He was like a research psychologist, research, uh, yeah, he was a research psychologist. He tried talking to his peers of the college. A lot of them just kind of blew him off. Uh, a couple of them were interested in his find, but then at the last minute said, oh, I can't come out there. I can't come out there. So Jonathan is starting to think that there might be a conspiracy going on against him. He also starts to feel, 
kind of uneasy because he remembers, hey, wait a second, I bashed that creature's brain in in the forest but when i pulled it out and videotaped it and it was so funny because i thought about this too when i was watching the videotape i go where's the gaping wound in his brain like that was, it was pretty gory the way the story was written how come half of his skull isn't missing uh, jonathan goes when i smashed his head open it really took a big chunk out of him but when i took him out of the freezer and i was videotaping him i realized that the wound had healed or was in the process of healing. It definitely wasn't as bad as I had inflicted on him before. And he starts to think, what could possibly... Like, the thing's dead, but I mean... I don't know. I mean, it does have a cabbage patch body. Who knows how the biology on their planet works. So he's getting kind of the cold shoulder from some of his colleagues. He's getting negative feelings from mainstream UFO researchers. And then he begins to hear a thumping from inside the meat freezer. And that's when he's like, oh, my God, dude, like what could possibly be going on in there? I mean, it's probably the alien, right? He's like, oh, did I leave? Did I leave the thermostat off? Did it melt? Do I have a bunch of bad meat in there? No, the thumping from inside your freezer is most likely the alien you dropped off in there. And at this point, we're like, it's only been seven days since he came back. This is all happening in a clip. He opened up his freezer and he saw the alien was alive in the freezer and the alien started screaming, making this really shrill, high-pitched noise. And Jonathan slams the freezer shut, won't let the little guy out. Two days after that, Jonathan said he was out going to work or doing some shopping or something like that. And now he's driving home. He's driving past his house and he sees people in his house. He sees a bunch of people walking around his house and he sees a couple vans outside of his house. So he just kept driving. He's like, I don't know what that was, but uh, I'm going to keep going. And then when he did go back, the body was gone. There were holes all in his walls where they were looking for evidence. They figured maybe he was stashing photographs here and there. He said that he had, like, he had connected with a local UFO group. He said that he had, like, sent some photos and some videos to other people. And one of them turned up dead, a UFO researcher named Dolly. He said that uh, she was dead, found dead due to a heart attack. And the copy he gave her of the UFO was gone. But one copy of the uh, videotape did exist. That's what's on YouTube. He said that he then went on the run for two years with his good friend Gary. They moved up and down the West Coast. They worked with a group of supporters known as the Alliance and the feds were constantly trying to shut them up by any means necessary. And that is after the two years, he ends up calling Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell in 98. This all started in 96, exposing this whole story to the world. It's a fascinating UFO story. It was done heavily at the time. And I think the story's kind of fallen into obscurity. Really, I mean, I had never heard of this before. And even the blurb I found on ThinkAboutItDocs.com, which is a great depository of UFO encounters, they had a bunch of facts wrong. It was just like a blurb someone had typed up. Um, but at the time, it was huge. Um, both Jonathan and his friend Greg went on to become speakers in the UFO community. I believe I know Jonathan himself became an author, began doing the touring circuit. I had no idea any, any of these guys existed, but they were big at the time. Really, really big at the time. 
And they brought the attention of a group called UFOWatchdog.com. And they're not watching for UFOs. They're watching for the people who watch for UFOs. And it's super interesting. They actually think this whole story was made up. And they say that Dr. Jonathan Reed never existed. It's actually a man named John Bradley Rutter who also lived in Washington. He'd been living in Washington the whole time. He didn't go on the run with his friend, Greg. They said Dr. Jonathan Reed or John Bradley Rutter was not a doctor, no college degree at all on record, and they called him, quote, a liar, con man, and UFO leech. So we have that, and what's so interesting is because there's no real material of people vetting Jonathan Reed... The only stuff that I really had to go off was was UFO Watchdog's own website. And they're like, they listed all of these experts in the industry. And they're like, this expert says that this story is 100% authentic. And this expert says that they talked to everyone at the university. And they remember Dr. Jonathan Reed. And they remember being asked about this. And then UFO Watchdog group goes, but we don't believe those guys either. And I go, well, I, I didn't know that there was anyone checking the side of the story saying it was true. And now you just named the people who are. So they listed a whole bunch of experts who say, no, we actually believe this story, and here's why. And UFO Watchdog just goes, yeah, but those guys are lame too, so believe us. When we show a picture of a guy and we say this guy's name is John Bradley Rutter, I don't know if that is really his name. You've given me no birth certificate. You've given me nothing to go off of. So it was super weird. They actually ended up... I, this is what it comes down to with this story. We've covered crazy things on the show before, and we've covered groups that go, we don't believe in that thing, but very rare, like UFO Watchdog Group has multiple pages. They have a huge, huge thing built up on this guy. And they're like, from the moment he told the story, we were on him. We were going to prove it was a hoax. Why? Like, he sells a couple books, right? It's not cool to lie, right? I'm not saying that hoaxing is cool at all. I think it diminishes the UFOlogy as a whole, or even the world paranormal people who fake psychic stuff, UFO stuff channeling. If you're faking it, you're diminishing it as a whole at the very least, and at the most, you're actively taking advantage of people, not just from their money, but their time. I think it's horrific to hoax. But I, the reason why I say, like, why him? Why him out of all of the hoaxers? Because I do believe that we have hoaxers and hucksters and all that stuff. Why him? Why are they going so hard after him? And it was so weird for them to publish stuff that made me go, I don't know, maybe you're wrong. Maybe they're right. I don't know. To me, the the UFO Watchdog group should just been like, you guys know about Dr. Jonathan Reed? Here's a link to the YouTube video. That is the most debunkable part of it like i was disappointed when i saw the alien's body i don't know what i expected i was hoping i would see an actual alien like when they unwrapped that foil and i saw that cabbage patch body i was disappointed like that is the big all of the people saying it's true it's not true it's true it's not true I don't know. If you provide me birth certificates, if you provide me social security numbers and the keys to their house, then I'll believe you. Um, I think the the Cabbage Patch body and the, the this is a problem. And I got to wrap this up, too. I could talk about this all day long, the behind the scenes stuff. The Cabbage Patch body is obviously it looks so fake 
my shoulders just kind of shrugged in defeat. The other thing is like the story can't keep evolving and it does. At some point, apparently they go, hey, oh, I also forgot to tell you that the alien had on a magical Ben 10 type watch that um, will allow you to open portals to other dimensions or control the UFO or something like that. And that's why the government wanted him so bad and they were chasing him for two years because they wanted the watch. And him and his sister drove, drove around in a van fighting monsters with monsters. It's like, dude, just leave that stuff out. That didn't happen. That, that didn't happen. You didn't find a magical watch. You can't add details. Either it started off with him having a Ben 10 magical watch or it didn't. But um, that is the conclusion of the story of Dr. Jonathan Reed and Susie. Or did that ever even happen? Were they attacked by a Cabbage Patch doll from another world? Do aliens from other planets have soft bodies that you can squeeze? Who knows? Probably not. Probably not, man. That dumb doll. That dumb doll. I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. I would rather have them just said, well, I didn't want to show the body. <laughs> yeah, he was shy. He had, to be, he had a giant genitalia. And it made me feel inadequate. So I'm going to keep... The blanket up to his neck. I'm just going to show you the head. Because the head was... Like, the features weren't overly exaggerated. He had to, like, open up the eyelids and kind of, like, move the mouth. <laughs> He's like, hey, believe in me. Believe in me, kids. It's a fascinating story. I love it. I don't know how true it is. I, my, my belief level did drop considerably once I saw the YouTube video. But a fascinating story nonetheless. Um, it's more fascinating, obviously, if it's true. If it's just made up, then the UFO Watchdog Group is right... But if they're wrong, then um, maybe we're all wrong about what aliens are like. Maybe they are Cabbage Patch. <laughs> maybe that is the life form. You have carbon-based, possibly silica life form aliens like the Conformers, and now finally cotton-based, soft and huggable Cabbage Patch aliens. But before you go and squeeze one and give it lots of love and take it back to your home, remember, this one did rip the skull off a dog. This one did rip the skull off a golden retriever without breaking a sweat. So they may look huggable and lovable, but they may also put you in a life and death struggle. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.